This is a podcast from the Poetry Society. Many of the best poets in the UK have no American outlet. You know, that's a problem. I believe very much that if British poets had a, a better hearing over here, you know, the audience would be huge. I'm Morris Reardon, the editor of the Poetry Review, and today I'm talking to Don Share, the editor of Poetry. We're having a transatlantic conversation today, uh, literally, but also I would hope it's it works as a metaphor for a broader interaction between uh, our two magazines and perhaps beyond that between our two uh, poetic traditions. The two magazines have twins that were born around the same time and we, we've had a, a long historical association so I'm going to kind of begin there with a much earlier historical transatlantic transaction uh, happened a hundred years ago when the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock was published in uh, Poetry magazine. And it is amazing, isn't it, Don, to see it there beside the work of, well, at the time, more established, better-known poets than, than T.S. Eliot. Names that are now perhaps forgotten and there is Prufrock and all its glorious uh, modernity. You must still be terribly proud of it. Is that the case? Oh, of course. <laughs> we, we, we never get tired of Prufrock. <laughs> uh, it will always be with us. And you're right. It's something we notice ourselves all the time. Mm. And, of course, we think about as editors now, is you know, that you never know which pieces will, will do the best over time. You know that something will, but you can't quite uh, imagine what it would be. And it is very striking and chastening and humbling that Eliot's work did appear beside well-known poets. I think our readers today can forget that Eliot was a very young man when that poem appeared. It was really his first publication of any note outside of a school periodical. Yeah, so he, uh, he was a, he was a young guy, and so it was quite a discovery—not just you know the old possum we think of now, but a. A, a young poet who really seemed to be coming out of nowhere. Absolutely. I mean, he he was discovered by Pound, wasn't he? And it was Pound who was based here in London who urged uh, Harriet Munro to, to publish Proof Rock. Um, a wonderful uh, moment in, well, in magazine history, in your magazine hi- history in particular. And then uh, I think I can mention this, there is an egregious misprint in the <laughs> uh, in the text uh, where uh, you know this long sort of uh, conceit of the the fog, the feline fog, and uh, it uses this line: "Let fall upon its back the soot that falls from chimneys." But as it's printed originally in poetry, it's "Let fall upon its back the spot that falls from chimneys." Is that a typo, Don? Do you know? It's certainly a typo. I can say now that um, typos and Poetry Magazine and Eliot go way back. In fact, in a subsequent appearance in the magazine, he was credited as T.R. Eliot. Thereafter, he didn't appear in the magazine. He oh. wasn't very happy with that. But <laughs> these things happen in our magazines. They happen today. I can tell you a funny thing about that uh, typo. When we got around to putting together a centennial anthology of poems that appeared in the magazine. The book was called The Open Door. 
we wanted to print the versions of the poems that as they appeared in the magazine. And because sometimes, you know, they change considerably by the time they're gathered together in, in books. of mm. And we had to think about that typo. And we actually did reproduce it, uh, which has caused great consternation and confusion. It probably wasn't a great idea. But, but you know, part of our history, as editors and publishers, is, make, is making mistakes. I mean, uh, that goes back to Thomas Wentworth Higginson not making the decision to publish Emily Dickinson's poems yeah. during her life. Yeah. So we're, we're not perfect. But I think it was actually apropos to publish as readers first, uh, first read it when I saw that. Uh, myself, I actually went and checked, and I, I did actually check the typescript. You have the typescript, don't you? <laughs> we do indeed. Yeah, and I saw a photograph you had of it online, so I thought, oh, yeah, it is a, a, an actual misprint. And that's kind of interesting, that kind of poking around, I think. But there were other things, of course, in the text that uh, Elliot changed, small things, but he did make a few changes as well. So I think it's kind of fascinating, you know, uh, as kind of readers to look back at how uh, how something appeared to readers for the very first time. That's uh, a little bit of history there, but uh, brings us to our own current uh, transatlantic transactions in our own spring issue here, we published a substanti- substantial selection of poems that uh, appeared in poetry. And that was a, a fascinating experience of me to select those poems. And to an extent, it wasn't any different, really, to, to what I, I generally do, just selecting poems. But uh, there was also another dimension to it in that my taste was exposed to novelties of language, of tone. My ear was straining for a music almost beyond my reach here and there, you know, so that, that well, I think that was the highlight of my editorial <laughs> experience uh, during the past year. And I know that you're reciprocating, Don, and uh, just yeah. curious, in fact, about uh, how it's going, how you're finding it. I find it quite interesting. As you point out, the music in our respective kinds of poetry is rather different. I think it's likely the case that things are a little easier for us over here, because as you can see from your own selection, we're used to a multiplicity of voices. That seems very natural here, that there'd be a range of diction and form, and sometimes these things are dispensed with, so that quite a lot in poetry from the UK would be intelligible to us with a very small leap of faith. On the other hand, I can well understand that the kinds of contemporary voices we have over here coming as they do out of so many different kinds of circumstances and backgrounds reflecting the vastness, and not only the vastness of our culture here, but the conflict embedded in, as as Mm. listeners and readers will know from the news every day, the kind of conflict out of which writing arises now. And so that multiplicity of voices, I think, is bewildering to our readers over here. And then when you add into it the experience of our different traditions in the last century or so, it would create a difficulty. But I think with the acclamation process that is set into motion by your publishing our poets and our publishing your poets, the readers are converging and they're able to um, encounter these different voices with great pleasure and certainly lots of comprehension. 
And I noticed on places like Twitter and Facebook that younger American and British poets are in communication. They're reading each other. They're connecting. They're meeting as travel becomes so straightforward and accessible. So that the transatlantic convergence, which has such longstanding roots for our two magazines, is now actually being fully realized in ways uh, I think people couldn't quite imagine a hundred years ago. It's actually very exciting and interesting. Does our poetry seem, I don't know, monotonous to you? You know, well, not so much monotonous, but maybe univocal or predictable in, in kind of range of language and voices you find in it? I don't think so. I think I, I think that the, the legibility of our respective traditions is what needs to be clarified a little bit among our readers. But for instance, I've had great success publishing poets such as Emily Berry, who, who really connects with people terrifically mm-hmm. over here. Now, in the summer issue of Poetry Magazine, I have a long poem by Paul Batchelor that will require some explanation because it's a, a narrative poem, and you don't see too much of that over here anymore. Mm. And it requires a bit of historical background. So mm. it's a kind of writing, I think, that has been kept up in certain ways um, in British poetry and neglected over here. And talk about Paul Batchelor. Uh, we had quite a reaction publishing Francis Leveston over here. And that was very interesting. So those are examples of just the, some voices that I think are exciting to our readers over here. And one of the reasons for the excitement is that these voices are different from any that arise in American poetry. So I don't think so, though. It's what you're probably on to is a sense, whether it's accurate or not, that British poetry can be traditional sounding or formal in ways that American poets have largely abandoned. There's some truth to that, I suppose. But I think the best poets from any place, you know, move everything forward, even in as much as they've learned from the past. So I don't, I don't think it's a big problem. But we're distinct cultures. No one should assume that these are cultures that need to be identical and need convergence. I mean, it's good that that British poetry is distinct in many ways from American poetry, and I'm sure British poets don't feel the need to or become Americanized either, or shouldn't. Now, if we were indistinguishable, it would be a loss, wouldn't it? Because then uh, there'd be no reason to <laughs> to go to the other, as it were, to look at the other. You're definitely right that we are in one of those phases when younger poets are, I think, looking very much to, uh, to what's happening in America. And that's a kind of a traditional thing, I think, in a kind of paradoxical sense for poets on this side. We kind of look to American poetry for an injection of freshness or perhaps a certain kind of hipness, up- updatedness in, mu- in what we're doing. I'm curious, though, whether American poets look over here for anything or whether they, I don't know, feel it's kind of irre- irrelevant to, to what they're doing or something that you and I are actually conspiring to change. One problem we have is structural, which is to say that many of the best poets in the UK are not published over here, or their books aren't distributed over here, so that many Faber poets have no American outlet. You know, we talked about Emily Berry. Her book isn't published over here. Mm. That strikes me as a real difficulty of the marketplace. I mean, fortunately, it's easy to obtain books, they can 
easily enough find a transatlantic audience, but if there aren't reviews, and, and reviews, I think, of British poets over here are are very scarce, except for the you know best-known poets, the, the sort of world-class names, you know, that's a problem. I believe very much that if British poets had a, a better hearing over here, you know, the audience would be huge. So I'm trying to rectify that, at least with <laughs> our readers, by representing them in our pages through these exchanges that we're doing. Uh, in the past, British poets have influenced American poetry, of course. Certainly, if you kind of get people actively reading each other, uh, and I think that is happening now, but you're quite right about the absence of, well, of UK books anyway in the States, to a lesser extent, I think, of American books here. So a lot of the traffic is taking place perhaps through... Twitter and through the internet generally, but there's no there's no substitute, I guess, for the for the page. Is there for the printed page? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's the goal in the end, and there's lots that remains to be done there. And and what I would be aiming for down the line is so that the appearance of British poets in American literary magazines would be as natural as can be. You know that they would want to be in American literary magazines and that readers would expect to find them there so that we don't have to do a special issue to highlight them as you know we do. But on the other hand, I, you know, I do think that the distinctiveness of our respective cultures is worth thinking about and, and maintaining. Yes. You know, there is a sense around the world that, that there's this Americanization happening. And I've encountered poets in the UK who don't wish to be in an American magazine. <laughs> That's not, you know, that's not the goal. And um, yeah. that makes sense to me. I think there's a keener sense of, for instance, regionalism in the UK than there is in the States, where we have a kind of mythology that we're all the same or something, or, or should view ourselves as being part of a larger whole. Our regionalisms here have become blurred and problematic. Mm-hmm. And I fully respect the idea that the magnitude of the audience isn't necessarily the aim of... Uh, a poet's trajectory. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I have a conviction myself that, okay, it's a very diverse tradition. There are strong differences between them and so on, but there are internal differences here. You know, there are different kind of uh, strands to to the linguistic tradition. The idea of, of a kind of whole poetry tradition is, is one, well, I'm convinced of anyway. So I think what we are doing perhaps is, is kind of pushing that and uh, I'm really looking forward to what you do with uh, your selection from the Poetry <laughs> Review. Have you made any choices yet? Yes, I have. I mean, it's funny, you know, there's a poet who's a little more on the radar now than before, but when I started making the list, Sarah Howe was on my, is on my list. Oh, very um, good. Uh, of course, I was interested in Simon Armitage now, who is the Oxford professor Indeed, yes, poetry. Yeah. You know, Catherine Maris, as you know, bridges our cultures brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, ought to be her work ought to be better known over here than it is, though it is known over here. And so those those are just a few names that, uh, very few names that, that come to mind. Yeah. It's very exciting, um, you know, to, to contemplate a, a, an ongoing list of these names uh, for our readers over here. Very good. I'm really looking forward to that. And I think uh, the readership for uh, poetry over here is looking forward to it too. So thank you, Don. Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed listening to this Poetry Society podcast. To find out more about the Poetry Society and how you can become involved, visit www.poetrysociety.org.uk.